as your pastor was talking about being on the Sea of Galilee, when you go to Israel, part of your tours, they, they do a boat trip from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and if you ask them to, they'll cut down the boat in the middle of the, of the uh, lake, and you can have a 15, 20-minute little service. When I went to Israel, I had an old jalopy trumpet that I took out of the case and just threw it in my suitcase so I could have it in Israel with me. And just about everywhere we went, the tour group would ask me to play. And I took it on that, they asked me to take it on that little Sea of Galilee trip, and we went right to the middle of the lake, and they cut it down, and I played Master, the Tempest is Raging. And uh, no sooner was I done playing, we got buzzed by two F-4 Phantoms on their way to bomb Lebanon. They zoomed right over the top of us, and about five minutes later, you heard thunder on the horizon, you know, bombs dropping, and about five minutes later, they came back, <laughs> right over the top. I don't know if my trumpet caused that. I don't know, but uh, that, that sure was fun. You know, and when I was in Israel, one of the, the one souvenir that I really wanted to get was a ram's horn from Israel. Because often in the Bible, if they didn't have a trumpet, you know, Moses was commanded to make two trumpets of silver for the temple. But a lot of times... They didn't have a trumpet, so they would use a ram's horn instead. And you play a ram's horn the same way you play a brass instrument. And so I wanted to get, I wanted to get a ram's horn. I couldn't find one. Evidently, there was a shortage. But finally, about the last day of our tour, we, up, we were up near the border of Lebanon, up by the Carmel Mountain. And um, I went into a little Jewish shop, and there was a ram's horn right on the counter. So I grabbed it, and it took it up to the counter. And I was just being friendly. You know, the, the Jews love the American dollar. And I was just being friendly, and I said, uh, boy, I can't wait to take this outside your store and blow on it. I'm a trumpet player. The guy looked at me very seriously and said, don't you dare. Don't you dare blow, blow this. If you're going to blow this in front of my store, I will not sell this to you. I said, okay, I won't. I said, why, 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 what's going on? He said, the ram's horn, the trumpet sound is sacred to the Jews. And this close to Lebanon, if you were to sound a ram's horn, we would have a riot in front of my store. Well, I didn't pay to see a riot on my particular tour, so I resisted playing. I waited until I got on the bus, and then I wanked on it. But, uh, um, but, but anyway, uh, uh, the trumpet's a very sacred sound to the Jew, but that was my experience in Israel. If you've never been to Israel, I highly recommend you go. It will be well worth every penny you pay to get there. And there are lots of tours that you can take, and they're just great. Now, let me go down a different road. Again, this is kind of housekeeping, okay? May I just suggest to you as a church, you've got Emma on the trumpet, a beginner-type player. Evidently, there are other beginner-type players in your church. It would be good if you could invest in an orchestrated hymn book. There's a hymn book you can buy that's written in the key of the various instruments that goes along with your hymn book. And they're not, they're not cheap. But uh, I would highly recommend that you get some of those. May, obviously, this would be with your pastor's permission. But to have a little orchestra that plays along with your congregational singing, many churches have that, and it's a wonderful opportunity for young people and old people. I bet there are a number of you that used to play an instrument, and it's in your closet somewhere collecting dust. And you can pull that out and dust the dust off and, and uh, start playing that again. That would be so incredibly cool. I was giving lessons one time to a trumpet student, and uh, he was in his 60s. And uh, he was taking lessons, wanted to get better, and we were sitting in the front pew of the church, and I said something funny. And he went, Hugh! and his false teeth came shooting out. <laughs> First thing he said, please don't tell my wife, she'll kill me. And, uh, but it's never too late, people, it's never too late to learn a musical instrument. I, I want to quote Ron Comfort, 
who would always tell a congregation, learn a musical instrument. Make your children play an instrument. Make your grandchildren play an instrument. Pay for it, grandparents, pay for it. And make them learn an instrument. If for no other reason, the discipline of having to practice every day will have lifelong dividends. And I tell young people this all the time. Sports are fun. Play sports. Enjoy sports if that's what you're into. But someday, young people, you will get married. And life as you know it will end. And you will not have time for sports anymore. However, if you play a musical instrument, you'll be able to use it for the rest of your life even up into your, in your 70s and 80s. It's so much more profitable. And you, can, and you can do both. I did. You can do both. So may I just encourage you to just really be an encouragement to those that are in your congregation that are learning a musical instrument. The Bible has so much to say about music. It has very little to say about sports, doesn't it? And so may I just encourage you, just kind of amening what your pastor was saying there a while ago. Good to have you here tonight. Would you grab your Bible, would you please, and turn with me. Let's just kind of review real quickly, get on the same page, and then, uh, and then get into some new stuff, okay? But uh, just, would you just go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2? We were there last night, and uh, let's just, I just want you to see one verse, okay? Just, so we'll just take a minute or two, and then go to Ephesians chapter 4, our main text. While you're turning there... I don't know if I've really explained this well because some of you have had some questions afterwards. In the lobby, I've got some CDs, and I didn't tell you how much they were. And let me just take a few moments and tell you about them. I have four different CDs that are available. All of them are sacred. One of them is a Christmas CD. There's a nice marriage between brass and Christmas. They're each $15, okay? But I'll cut you a deal. If you buy all four of them as a set, I'll give them to you for $40, so they're $10 a piece, okay? They are CDs. All four of them are what we call orchestrated, which means it's not just trumpet and piano. It's trumpet and full orchestra by Miracle of Recording Studio. I've got a full orchestra behind me, and the way that worked is you can kind of re-record over top, and you can do what they call layering when you do it. So I had four violinists, and by the, the technique of a recording studio, they sound like 16. And uh, so that's, uh, that's what's on my, I also have a live oboist and a live flute player on there, a live trombone player. And, uh, but anyway, they, 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 they're orchestrated. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the quality. There are a number, let me start over. There are a gob of radio stations across the world that are using these CDs. One of them is on the internet called Abiding Radio. I would highly recommend that to all of you. It's a 24-7 website. It's absolutely free. It's all sacred, and they use my CD a lot as well as many, many others. And, uh, but anyway, they're available to you. I know it's a real challenge, especially in New England, to find good Christian music. And I can say without reservation that what I recorded is godly. It's wholesome. There's no rock and roll on it. It's just good stuff. I had a gentleman tell me just before the service tonight that he listened to my newest CD all day today. And he had it as background music, which is a nice thing to do. And uh, there's, a, there's just kind of a, a, a nice sound there that I think that you'll enjoy. So anyway, they're 15 apiece, the whole set for 40, and, and uh, you are welcome to them. And let me just, I, I, I feel so official when I say this. I can take plastic. I can take plastic, okay? So if you don't want to spend real money, you want to use fake money, I can take your credit card, okay? All right. So are you in 2 Timothy? I gave you long enough to find it. You in 2 Timothy with me? Okay. Let, let me just this, this kind of rehearse with you what we did last night, okay? Starting in verse number 3, the Bible tells us, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good, what church? 
soldier of Jesus Christ, okay? So we're all soldiers. We've all been called into the army, no exception. If you're saved here tonight, you are part of that army, whether you're a female, a male, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're a child, whether you're retired, whatever, you are part of that army. Some of us are newer members to the army. Some of us are older members of the army. But we're all part of that army. And what does a soldier do? They fight. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been called to fight. You're a fighter. You're fighting, defending the gospel. You're fighting for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the next verse. We didn't hit this last night, and I'd like to right now. Verse number four. Continuing the soldier metaphor. Verse four says, no man that warreth. People, you're in a war. That's implied. You're in a war. No man that warreth entangleth himself or gets all caught up in the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I find that fascinating. I want you to understand tonight, people, that when you fight, when you fight, you please God. Isn't that simple? When you fight, you please God. God is pleased when you're a soldier. God is pleased when you fight. God has called every one of us to fight. And you'll also remember that last night we established the fact that if I'm in a fight, that implies that I'm fighting something. I'm fighting somebody. And who is that that we're fighting? Well, some of you said last night, the devil. And that is exactly right. You're fighting the devil. But we also introduced ourselves last night to another enemy that in your life is omnipresent. It's everywhere you go. It's a constant fight 24-7, and that would be what is going on in your mind. So with that in mind here tonight, all right, let's go to our main text, Ephesians chapter 4, and just understand that what we're talking about tonight, people, pleases God. And when you're winning this fight, you are pleasing the Lord. He's called you to be a soldier, and he wants to be pleased, and I hope you're pleasing him with the way that you fight. So in Ephesians chapter 4, if you remember last night, we started looking at verse 22, and let me just read it, okay? Verse 22, 23, and 24. You follow in your Bible as I read, okay? Are you there? Say amen if you're alive. Amen. All right, good. Here, verse 22, it says that she put off, and remember, put off means to take off garments, that she put off concerning the former conversation of the former lifestyle, the old man or the old closet, which is corrupt, decaying flesh, according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit or the attitude or the mindset of your mind, verse 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and genuine, true holiness. Would you look up this way, please? Remember last night, we established the fact that this platform is your mind. And, when you, and in your mind, all of us have this, we've got this closet called the old man closet. Everything in there, the Bible says, is corrupt, which means it smells like decaying flesh. It's just yucky stuff. It's just absolutely just bad stuff. And I can go to that closet, and I can wear what's in that closet at any given moment of any given day. And we need to understand that everything in that closet, everything in there is bringing death. It's all about death. And when you got saved, the Bible says that God put a new closet. You weren't born with it. You were born again with it. 
And when you got born again, God gave you a new closet. This new closet is called the new man closet. And everything in there is absolutely holy, wonderful. It makes you a better employee. It makes you a better church member. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better child. It makes you a better employee. Everything about that closet is nothing but blessing. And the biggest fight that you and I have, remember we said this last night, the biggest fight that you and I have is which closet at any given moment am I going to wear? And friends, I cannot stress this hard enough. This is a fight that all of you have. You never grow out of this fight. It will be a fight that you will have until you go home to glory. Even the Apostle Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? He was referring to that closet. But what is so hard, people, is that closet is very attractive. It's a very attractive closet to your flesh. That closet is not so attractive to your flesh. And so what Paul does under the inspiration of heaven is he wants you and me to understand just exactly how does that closet work? What makes it so effective? So what he does, starting in verse 17 where this whole section starts, Starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul wants you to know, God wants you to know exactly how that closet works. So tonight, let's start looking together and do a Bible study starting in verse 17 and find out just how your flesh works, shall we? So jump up to verse 17, would you? Verse 17 of chapter 4, and be patient with me because I'm going to read a phrase and visit with you for a while and read another phrase and visit with you for a while, okay? So are you ready? Are you ready? Would you look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. Okay, I'm sure you wives have said that many, many times, haven't you? Okay, verse 17. Now watch this, people, watch this. Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Would you look at me for a second? What he means by that statement, people, is this. That what I'm about to give you, Paul is saying, is straight from heaven. He wants you to get this. I have the authority of heaven behind what I'm about to share with you. What he's about to share with you, Christians, is very, very graphic. We could label it PG-13 if you want to use modern vocabulary. It's a very graphic thing that he's about to share with you. And he wants you to know, people, it's straight from heaven. God has given him the authority to share this with you. It's God's will for you to know this. That's what he's saying. So let's read on. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, starting now, walk or live not as other Gentiles live or walk. And how do they walk and live? In the vanity or the emptiness of their mind. Would you look at me, please? Let me explain some things to you. What that verse is not saying, it's not saying that people who are unsaved are dumb. That is not what it's saying. When it talked about the vanity of the mind, when it talked about somebody unsaved, it's not saying that they are dumb people. But what it is saying is that when it comes to religion, when it comes to understanding heaven, when it comes to understanding God, people who are unsaved just don't get it. They don't understand, nor can they understand what you understand. And he's saying that because of that, don't you live like them? Well, how do they live? They live in accordance to what they feel. Let me, let, me, let me illustrate. 
I remember watching Discovery Channel. I like the Discovery Channel. I don't like it when they, when they result to evolution. But I like the Discovery Channel, those outdoor programs and things. And I remember seeing an advertisement a number of years ago. Some of you might remember this. That the Discovery Channel was going to run a series called Finding God. And that series was going to be narrated by Morgan Freeman. And what Morgan Freeman was going to do was he was going to take a camera crew and they went all over the world looking at all the various religions trying to find where indeed is God. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't have to watch it because I knew what was going to happen. They went everywhere. They went everywhere except where they needed to go. And so what Paul is saying, according to verse 17, is that when it comes to religious understanding, when it comes to Bible understanding, people who are unsaved just don't get it. They can't. They don't understand what you understand. But because you do understand it, people, because you do understand the truth, it ought to affect the way you live. You don't walk like the Gentiles walk anymore. That word Gentile there is kind of interesting. The word Gentile there is the Greek word ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. And let me tell you something about racial profiling. In God's eyes, hear me carefully, Christians. In God's eyes, there are two races, just two, saved and unsaved. God calls the unsaved Gentiles or ethnos. It kind of means pagans. So in God's eyes, people, there are only two races on earth. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. There ought to be a clear distinction between people who are saved and people who are unsaved in the way that they live. That's what Paul's trying to get you to understand. There ought to be a difference in your life. You've got a different agenda. You've got a different perspective. You've got a different outlook. You've got a different hard drive to throw a computer term at you. You're just different. Now... In order to understand what somebody's unsaved is like, in other, in other words, what the pagan is like, the next verse is very, very graphic, and it describes that ethnos. It describes the pagan. And watch this, would you please? Verse 18. Interesting verse. Watch this. Talking about those that are unsaved, he says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So, friends, what that verse is saying is this. Somebody unsaved, this includes New England people, people that are unsaved, they're aliens, their understanding is darkened, they're blind, and they are ignorant. Now, I would recommend that when you're at work and you're witnessing to somebody at work or you go on visitation and you knock on a door and somebody answers the door, it probably wouldn't be the best approach to say, sir, ma'am, I'm just here from Community Baptist Church, and I just want you to know that you are ignorant, you're blind, you're an alien, and your understanding is darkened. Probably not the best approach. However, if you did, you would be right. Because that's exactly what you're talking to. You're talking to an alien. You're talking to an ignoramus. You're talking to somebody whose understanding is darkened. You're talking to somebody who is blind. Folks, they just don't get what you get. They don't understand what you understand. So you kind of have to bring them along. You have to kind of teach them. 
I find that word blind is kind of fascinating. Do you understand what it means to be blind? People that are unsaved are blind. Do you understand that? They're blind. They just don't get it. They don't see what you see. So naturally, they're going to act unsaved because they don't get it. To drive this point home, let me share with you something kind of personal. I used to live in Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, used to get Nesson, New England Sports Network, you know, that TV program that you guys have. We can't get that elsewhere in the country, and I enjoyed Nesson. I used to watch the Celtics. I was a big Celtics fan, been to many of their games, and even got to play basketball with the Celtics one time, and that's a, that's a whole other story that I'll be glad to tell you at the service for a dollar. But um, uh, the, uh, I, I, I've always been a Celtic, and I was, one night I was practicing my trumpet, Emma, on my couch in my living room, I was practicing my trumpet, doing exercises that I have memorized. I know I was watching a Celtic game. Now, you're not ready to do that yet, okay? You need to keep the TV off but, but when you're practicing. But, but anyway, I was practicing my exercises, you know, do, watching a Celtic game, and they showed halftime. And there at the Fleet Center, at the Boston Garden back then, they brought out two young couples who were unmarried. They took one young couple to one foul line. They took another couple to the other foul line. And the golden voice announcer, whoever it might be of the fleet center there, said, ladies and gentlemen, these two young couples are going to compete for $25,000. Whichever couple scores a foul shot first in a one-minute time limit will win the money. The girl will do the shooting. No, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. No, I got that backwards. Sorry, people. The guy will do the shooting, but he will be blindfolded. He will be blind. She will be his rebounder, and she can give him instructions, but she cannot touch him, but she can yell instructions to him. I don't know how well you guys know girls, but they can be pretty good at that. So... They blindfolded, a referee went to that foul line, another referee went to that foul line, they blindfolded the guy, they spun him around, and they blew a whistle. The camera did a zoom in on this guy down here. He got that basketball, and folks, try to put yourself in their sneakers. Here they are, competing for $25,000. That's a chunk of change. You know what he's thinking? Man, $25,000, that'd buy a nice Mustang. <laughs> you know what she's thinking? Man, that'd buy a nicer date than McDonald's, man. Let's do this. They're both, and they're in front of 18,000 people. The Fleet Center's always sold out. There are another million probably watching on Nesson. Do you think they might be a little bit motivated and a little bit pumped? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they did a close-up on this guy. He had been spun around. He took that basketball. He fired at that. It, missed. it went into the stands. His girlfriend went running after it. She grabbed it from, the, from a fan, came back to her boyfriend and said something very, very sophisticated like, that was too hard, idiot. Soft turn to the right. He shot again. It went halfway to the rim. She ran. She got it. She brought it back to her boyfriend, said something else, and, and he shot again. After one minute, people, not one of those couples came close to hitting the backboard. But the cameras did close up on all you people sitting in the stands, and you saw this over and over again. People had been laughing so hard. I was on my couch 90 miles away. It was so, it had to be there, but it was so hilarious. And let me tell you why. They were trying so hard. They were competing so hard. They wanted it so badly. And the, worse they, the, the more they tried, the funnier it got. Ladies and gentlemen, what a picture of the society you live in. I am told by Time magazine 
that you Americans on average see 3,000 commercials a day. I'm told by Wall Street Journal that the number one pursuit of all Americans is we just want to be happy. All those commercials are saying the same thing. Hey, drink me and you'll be happier. Brush with me. Put this product in your hair and you'll be happier. Drive this and you will be sexy and attractive and happy. And all the people in those commercials, it might be on a t-shirt, it might be on your TV, it might be on the internet, it might be on the back of a cereal box. Have you ever noticed they're always young and gorgeous? <laughs> have you noticed that? Yeah. They make it look so wow. And so there you have all those commercials saying, you know, do this and you'll be happy. And here's the world, folks, and you got saved out of it. You got saved out of that system. Here's the world. The Bible says they're blind. They don't, they don't understand what you understand. So there they are. They're shooting for happiness. Oh, if I just get the right house, if I could just get the right relationship, if I just get the right bank account, if I just get the right rifle, if I just get the right car, I'll be happy. And God says both in Psalms and in Proverbs that he looks down and laughs. Look at them. I gave them my word. I've tried to take the blindfold off, but they refuse my word. People, what a picture of the world. You're different, aren't you? You've had that blindfold removed. You understand. It doesn't, it doesn't bring happiness. Only the Lord can bring joy and peace and contentment. Could I get an Amen. And my friends, that's what Paul's saying in verse 18. That the unsaved, they're blind, they're ignorant, they're aliens, and their understanding is dark, and they just don't get it. And so because of that, oh, people, it's going to get really, really ugly. Because of that, their heart, <clears throat> that closet, that's the only closet they've got, that closet always goes in one direction. It's always the same direction. And friends, you've got that closet in your life. Watch out. You need to know this. Look what he says in verse 19. One of the ugliest verses in the entire Bible. Look at verse 19. Talking about that unsaved heart, which you've got in your, in your life. If you're called the old man. Look what it says in verse 19. Who being past feeling, talking about the unsaved. Okay, they have no conscience. That's what that means. No conscience. No conscience about what? Well, let's read on. Who being past feeling have given themselves, nobody made them. It's just the natural inclination of their heart. Have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with they never get enough. They never get enough. That's what the word greediness means. My friends, an unsaved heart is always in the direction. It's always bent towards the direction. Its toes are always pointed in the direction of lasciviousness. That explains America. That's why every commercial has some kind of sex appeal to it. That's why every rock song has some kind of sexual theme to it. That's why every movie, every, every sitcom always has sexual references. You know why? Because people, that is always the direction of that closet. Everybody unsaved, that's the only closet. And so naturally, they want to have their whole party scene in all that they do. Am I describing your society or what? 
Friend, why? Because that's the only closet they've got. That's always the natural direction of an unsaved heart. It's never different. It's never different. An unsaved heart is always all about lascivious. Now, some go after it more than others, but I guarantee you every heart is like that. And people, you've got that closet in your life. You've got that problem. But you've had the blindfold removed, haven't you? When I was in third grade, my parents bought their first home. They had rented homes up until that point. We were living in Seattle. That's where I grew up. And they bought a home in the suburbs of Seattle, and they bought a home in a subdivision called Camelot. I went to Camelot Elementary School. It was based on that whole fantasy Camelot, you know, King Arthur, the sword and the stone, you know, Sir Lancelot, you know, all that stuff. That was the thing. But anyway, there were, there were hundreds of homes in this subdivision where my parents bought a home called Camelot. Right in front, of, right in the middle of this subdivision, there was a small farm where this farmer had said, no, no, multi-million dollar developers, you may not have my land. I want to keep my land. And so he kept it. And so they built this huge subdivision all around this farm. My parents, and I asked my dad why here recently. He said it was the only one left for sale. My dad and mom bought one of the homes directly across the street from that farm. So that when I was sent to my room, which happened a lot, I could go to the window. I could rest my elbows on the windowsill and watch life on that farm. When we first moved into that house, this farmer had a unique farm. He didn't have your normal pigs and chickens and stuff like that. He had, I think he had a cow. I think he had a horse. But he had a whole gaggle of peacocks. Have you ever seen a peacock? Let me describe a peacock to you. I'm an authority. In the middle of the night at 3 in the morning, it was still quiet, and all of a sudden you'd hear, Gah! Gah! never could I find my dad's 22. Gah! Gah! Well, a peacock, my friends, has a fanny full of feathers that drag on the ground. And that peacock kind of just struts on, and this guy had a bunch of them. They'd strut and they eat slugs and all, all this garbage off the ground. But what was kind of fascinating and funny, I might add, is that every now and then one of those peacocks would decide, hey, I want to be married. And he would take his fanny full of feathers and have this huge spray of gorgeous feathers, and he would strut and he would shake. And he would walk around the just strutting his stuff. And, and I guess God made the peahens to look at that and go, yeah. <laughs> that is husband material. If I've ever seen husband material, I want some of that. And I used to watch that and think, how dumb. <laughs> how dumb. <laughs> but then I went to my local high school. I went to my local shopping mall. I happened to catch a commercial. I happened to catch a few minutes of a sitcom. I saw the same thing. Girls, women, with barely anything on, strutting their stuff. And guys with a shirt unbuttoned down to their navel, three chest hairs hanging out there. 
strutting their stuff. How dumb. How stupid. That's what we call barnyard behavior. And ladies and gentlemen, you are surrounded by barnyard behavior. You have the potential, Christian, of getting into barnyard behavior. We've all heard stories, haven't we? But Paul wants you to know that is always the direction of that closet. It's always all about barnyard behavior. Now watch this, would you please? Verse number 20. I need to hurry. Verse number 20. Look what he says. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, in other, if you've been saved, if you know the truth, if that blindfold has been released, you know better. I love that, people. You know what Paul's doing? He's telling you, hey, Christians, hey, church, the world around you is all about barnyard behavior. They're all about the party life. They're all about the party scene. But not you. Not you. You know better. You're wise. You're no longer ignorant. You're no longer blind. You're no longer having a darkened understanding. You've got wisdom from on high. Could I get an amen? You've got wisdom from on high. You know better. You avoid it. And friends, where does that barnyard behavior get its energy, its motivation? Verse 22, that you put off, take it off, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the lifestyle that is just described in the previous four verses, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed. Oh, I love that word renewed. You know what it means, people? That word renewed, it just means to refresh, to kind of have a revival, if you will. And how does that happen? By getting into the Word of God. May I remind you, people, may I remind you, Christians, that this book that you call the Bible is a very miraculous book. There's something about it that's alive. It energizes. Paul said that to the Thessalonians. This, this book energizes you. People, that's what the word... That's what the word there, and be renewed, means. It means to be energized. It means to be motivated, to have your engine tuned up, to get more gas, if you will, to plug in your cell phone, which happens to be your new nature. You do that with this book. The more time you spend in this book, the more energized you are, the more power you're going to get. That's how you renew your mind. You spend time every day pouring over its pages. You do more than just a daily bread. No, I'm talking about you memorize it and you, you meditate on it and, and you read it. I have a good friend who when he retired, because he had some discretionary time like many of you, he made it a goal one year to read the Bible through once a month so that in one year he read this thing 12 times. I would challenge you. It would probably take you an hour a day, but you wouldn't think twice about that if it were golf. You wouldn't think twice about that if it were going out to eat. My friend, this book is all what we're about. I hope you love it. I hope you adore it. I hope you cannot get enough of it. Spending time, finding time in your day to, to pour over its blessed pages. I'm going to make a statement that's going to shock you. Nowhere, people, nowhere in the Bible does it tell you 
that your pastor should know more about the Bible than you do. That is not in the Bible. I would challenge you to get an education, to learn the Bible so well that you could be a pastor, that you could preach. I'm not saying that God's calling you to be a pastor, but oh, how strong would this church be if all of you knew the Bible as well as your pastor does. That ought to be a goal. It ought to be a goal, lady. It ought to be a goal, young people. Learn the Bible. Get it in your life. Meditate on it. Chew on it. You know why? It always energizes. Paul said it this way to the Thessalonians. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That word effectually worketh, we get our word energized from that word. The Bible energizes you, people. What's going to help you with this fight, soldiers, is getting into the Word of God and letting it wash your soul, wash your mind, wash your life. We love the Bible. But let me close with this, but don't get excited because it's going to take me about 15 minutes to close. <laughs> Here's the problem, people. Here's the problem. If you're saved here tonight, you've got that closet. You've got that closet. It's because of that closet right there that you're going to heaven. If you die with only that closet, God must, by default, send you to hell. It's only because of that closet we deserve heaven. But this closet, those of you that are saved tonight, this closet is still alive and kicking in your life. Even the Apostle Paul said that in his life. It's a fight. And here's the problem. You've got that closet pulling on you, and you've got that closet pulling on you as David Brainerd, who is a New England Indian missionary, used to teach the Indians here in New England. And one of the chiefs got a hold of it, and the chief said, Mr. Brainerd, I think I understand what you're saying. You're saying that inside my life, inside my mind, there's a black dog and there's a white dog. These two dogs hate each other. They're constantly fighting. And whichever dog I feed wins the fight. That Indian chief nailed it. That's exactly what we're learning. But friends, here's the problem. A number of years ago, there was a young man, 19 years old. He had a hot car. He lived up in the Northwest. He had a hot car. But like a lot of 19-year-olds, he had no money. And it was towards the middle of the week, and he was starting to make plans for the weekend, and he had a girlfriend that lived a good ways away. But he had no gas, and he had no money. So he got the bright idea. This is an absolute true story, people. He got the bright idea that just up the street from where he lived was an RV park. You know what an RV is, those huge motorhomes. There was a park of them, a campground of them, just up the street from where he lived. He got the bright idea, I'm going to go up there tonight with a five, couple five-gallon gas cans and a siphon hose, and I'm going to siphon and steal some gas. Well, folks, in order to understand this story, you need to understand what it means to siphon something. The way you siphon something, and I'm an authority on this because my wife always had me clean the aquarium. But what you do is you get a hose and you put the end of your hose into the source that you want to take from. You take the other end of that hose and you suck on it like a McDonald's straw. That will start a flow. When that flow starts, you always get a little bit in your mouth, but if you're a real man, you just spit it out, and that starts to flow, and you immediately take it out of your mouth and put it into the receptacle that you want it to flow to, and it starts, it starts to flow. Many of you have done this, haven't you? Well, this kid got a good hose, 
couple cans and a, found a good victim. Snuck in there, opened that tank, and started the siphon process. The owner of the RV never knew he was there until the next morning. When he got up, walked out of his RV, and there was a body in his campground. The body of that 19-year-old. He tried to revive the 19-year-old. He couldn't. He called 911, an ambulance rushed out, and they administered first aid on the way to the hospital, and they were able to revive this kid. He had died, but they were able to revive him. And in the hospital, as he finally came to and finally started to regain his consciousness, the police were there, and they started interviewing him, and here's what they learned. They learned, people, that this young man had started the siphon process, and what he did not realize is that an RV has at least two tanks, one for the gas and one for the toilet. He had stuck his hose down the wrong tank, and the methane gas that's given off by human waste killed him. I love how the story ends. The police asked the owner of the RV, would you like to press charges? The owner of the RV chuckled and said, no, he already got his comeuppance. We're good. <laughs> you know, we, I, I share that story, and thank you for the three of you that laughed. But what a picture, friends. What a picture of the church. What a picture of you that are saved. You got two tanks. One brings death. One brings blessing. What are you sucking on? When your music, when you listen to your music, what are you sucking on? When you watch TV, what are you sucking on? What do you, what do you listen to? What do you watch? What's your thought life like? What are you fantasizing about? Is every thought being brought into the obedience of Jesus Christ? That's what he wants. People, what a fight. What a fight. I hope you're winning. I hope you're winning that fight. I hope that you're wanting to win that fight. May I remind you how I began. This fight, soldiers, pleases God when you win. I hope you're pleasing God, soldiers. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for this good Tuesday night crowd. Lord, thank you so much for redirecting the snowstorm so that we could have a healthy service tonight. God, thank you for doing that. But Lord, more importantly, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you use it. And Lord, I know here tonight that this message has been for Christians. And God, I pray that it would have helped many of them to be the right kind of soldier that pleases you, including me. Lord, I'm no better than anybody in this room. But God, we want to please you if we know you as our Savior. And I pray that that would be a goal of every life here, no matter what the age. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Could I ask you a question? Would you answer me by slipping up your hand? I wonder if you're here tonight and you'd be willing to say, Brother Mike, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But when it comes to this fight, this two-closet thing, man, I'm not doing so well. And I'm sitting here right now convicted. God has touched my heart. And I realize I've got some work to do. I need to spend more time in the Word of God. I need to get victory in this area. Well, friend, it's going to take some humility for you to admit that. I understand that. But may I remind you that God resists the proud. 
but he gives grace to the humble. I wonder if you'd humble yourself tonight and just say, Brother Mike, I needed this. This message has been an encouragement to me. And by God's grace, I'm going to see some changes in my life. Would you please pray for me in closing? Here's my hand. Would you quietly slip it up high enough that I can see it? God bless you. Many, many hands. Before I pray, friends, could we all stand to our feet? Let's all stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's all stand. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the way you use your word. Thank you for the way you use your messengers. God, I thank you for what you've done here tonight. Lord, there have been many, many hands, which tells me you've been speaking to hearts. Lord, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, what excitement that is to see. But God, I do pray here in a moment the piano will be playing and heads will be bowed and eyes will be closed and I'm going to give these hand raisers an opportunity just to slip out from where they're standing. Oh God, it'll take courage. I know that. But Lord, I pray that you'd give them courage to just slip out from where they're standing and just come to this old-fashioned altar and humble themselves and get on their knees and just dedicate this message tonight in their life to you. Lord, help them to walk out of this auditorium with a renewed vigor to be the right kind of soldier, to have renewed minds, Lord, to win the fight. God, I pray that you would bring to this altar those that you'd have come. Lord, I pray that they would not worry about what people think, but just to get things right with you, just to dedicate things with you, just to ask for your help when it comes to being the right kind of fighter in this area called New England where you have placed them for a reason. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The piano is playing. I'd like to invite you, if you slip up your hand, why don't you just slip out from where you're standing. The front pew is wide open. The steps are wide open. If you want to just sit up here front, in front somewhere, that would be fine. But may I invite you, some are coming right now. You come, even while I'm talking, you come. And just get on your knees and just ask the Lord to help you with what you've learned these last two nights. Would you do that? God bless you. God bless you, men. God bless you, ladies. God bless you. Young people, this invitation is so for you, too, not just adults. You come if God's touched your heart. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Once you're up here, would you just stay there for a moment and I'm going to ask your pastor to just have a dedicatory prayer that God will help with your fight. You, you, you unite your heart with him as he prays. Would you please? God bless you. Pastor, it's yours. Lord, how we need it tonight. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of it. 
Lord, it cleanses us. It prods us. It pricks us to do right. And Lord, we ask now for the power of your spirit as each of these responding tonight are doing business with you. And Lord, we know that we are to be good soldiers, but Father, we are thankful that we don't fight this fight in our own power. We fight this fight by the power of your spirit. So Lord, we pray that as we lay these things at your feet, Lord, that your spirit would just come behind. Lord, that we would be attentive and obedient to him, sensitive to his leading as we fight this fight, as we seek to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in hearts tonight. And Lord, we pray that this would continue into tomorrow. Lord, that we would see this as an energizing for what you have for us. Lord, I, I believe you've got wonderful things for us in 2024. And Lord, we need workers and we need people with hearts that are ready for the blessings that you can pour out. May this be the start and may this be the, the catalyst for incredible things to come at Community Baptist Church. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name.